Welcome in to Hunt with Bruce, episode 6. All we do is win, and if you want your team to be in the CFP, you better hope that's what your team does as well. Ryan Hunt, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, we're getting down to the end, and stuff's getting real, my man. It's getting real, a lot of drama coming up this week. It's my favorite time of the year. This has to be like a top five sports weekend. Throw in, you know, with March Madness, uh, the college football playoff, bowl season, but Thanksgiving week, you got NFL on Thursday, got a couple college games on Thursday, but then the real fun starts on Friday at 8 o'clock with West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Washington, Washington State, carries us right through into Saturday. I mean, if you're a college football fan or just a football fan in general, I mean, this week is the cat's pajamas. Yeah, the bee's knees. I love it. The nice thing about this week is there's also some college basketball mixed in. Yeah. So, like, not not normally I'd say two out of the last seven years have I had to do this, but it's an easy segue transition for me to move into basketball season. And I have done that. Mm-hmm. I am now officially out of football season. Thank you, Dave Warner. And I have moved on to basketball season, so hopefully I don't get disappointed uh, at the end like I did last year with uh, good old Syracuse and Michigan State. Some of us fans still have some things to look forward to heading into December and January. But if you're a Michigan State fan or a Kentucky fan, you've already thrown all of your eggs into the basketball basket. Uh, so I certainly don't yeah. blame you. And, and hey, the Spartans look look good on the hardwood so far. We'll see if they can. I, mean, I think they even play on Thanksgiving night, right? They do. They've got they've got Eucla. Yep. Uh, out in Vegas, man. So and you'll be having a split the... screen Thursday night, Thanksgiving night. MSU oh, yeah. Spartans playing some hoops. You got some NFL games on. And then, you know, if, I don't think you can have enough TVs. If you go to like B-dubs Friday and Saturday, I don't think they'll have enough TVs to catch all of the great football action that we have in store. No, and forget family time, man. I want to spend my time with my TV. All right. Yeah, that's the most <laughs> important part. It's 2018. It's digital. Haven't you seen that movie, Her, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix? I mean, that's really what it's what it's all about right there is. Yeah, developing yeah. that relationship with your TV and, and fostering that relationship. And, yeah, and, and if, we'll see how, how it goes this weekend. Yeah, and if you want to get a hold of me, wife, uh, FaceTime me on my phone because I'm busy. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, so we've got a huge week. Football is still on my brain, even though my team's not, uh, not there any longer. A lot to play for, as you mentioned. Now, coming out of this past weekend, we had a lot go down. Mm-hmm. We had West Virginia to start off, who went down to OK State and Mr. Mike Gundy. We had Ohio State struggle. ND rolled. U of M looked a little rough around the edges. You had Oklahoma give up 40 to Kansas. And then you had UCF dominate. You had Texas coming away with a big win, and they looked uh, they looked good in that one. And you had FSU pull a crazy upset on BC. So that this week, that the past weekend had it all, and it sets up like you said for a huge, huge weekend going into Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all you can handle, and it's rivalry work week. That's the one thing I forgot. Bring yeah. on the hate. Bring on the hate. If you have hate in your heart, let it out. I, That's I'm with right. you. I'm with you though. You know, week twelve. If you looked at the schedule, it didn't look like there was a ton going on. You had a few key matchups for teams that are, that are still in playoff contention, like the West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Syracuse, Notre Dame, like you said. Um, so it certainly wasn't the most sizzling weekend 
in terms of matchups, if you had some other things to do, some familial obligations, maybe some chores around the house before the winter sets in for us Midwesterners. It was a good weekend to get some of that done. But my eyes were once again on the TV pretty much from noon until midnight. Uh, caught a lot of great college football action. And there were some interesting storylines that uh, have a huge impact, I think, on how the rest of the season is going to shape out. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, it was one of those weekends where I thought for sure I could go do some other things, get some housework done. And it turned out to be one of those ones where, I, you know, I'm like, hey, can we switch the TV off of Netflix real quick? Right. I got to check out this game. I got to see this score. So it sure was fun packed. And normally we give a bunch of highlights to kind of recap. I think we just got to give like the last minute and a half of what I thought was the biggest game of the weekend. And it certainly shook up uh, everything in the Big 12. So here we go with a little West v. Oklahoma State. In this goal-to-go situation, and they throw a fade, and it is caught! Tyron Johnson! Rear quarterback draw, great call! Can he make it? Yes, he can! Touchdown, West Virginia! Stoner's been a go-to guy. Cornelius keeps it again. Touchdown! Taylor Cornelius. They're coming after him. He throws quickly. It's caught. It is a touchdown for Tylen Wallace with 42 seconds to go. Left, it's Jennings. Oklahoma State blitzes. A fake by Greer. His last second throw broken up by A.J. Green. Oklahoma State wins. So there you have it. It was scoring, scoring, and some more scoring. And we thought maybe, I don't know if you thought, I thought Will Greer might find the magic again like he did against Texas and put one in the end zone from 14 yards out. But he came up short, and it sets up, like we said, we've got a great weekend in the Big 12 with Oklahoma, West West Virginia squaring off, and Texas, all they got to do is beat Kansas – And I think in most seasons we'd say, uh, why don't you just chalk that one up? But this year looks like it might not be as easy as it has been in the past. Yeah, Kansas hung 40 on the Sooners last weekend, and uh, David Beatty is on his way out in Kansas. They're bringing in Les Miles to be the new head coach next season. So I think the Kansas players, especially the seniors, they they have something to play for. They want to play for their ball coach who has a pretty abysmal record while out in Lawrence, but nonetheless, you know, you, you get a couple 18 to 22, 23-year-old kids there and, and rally around something, at least at, at the end of the season. So, you know, I wouldn't write the Jayhawks off completely. That could be an interesting matchup. Uh, but turning our focus back again to West Virginia, Oklahoma State, to be honest, this is one of those games I didn't watch a ton until the, the final few minutes. I saw that the Cowboys were down by 17 at halftime and thought, great, you know, my, my West Virginia pick to cover the spread is going <laughs> to hit there. Uh, we, you know, all year, like you had said, Will Greer was captain clutch all season long. That huge comeback against Texas, but at the end of the day, it was our man Corn Dog Taylor Cornelius getting the job done oh, in the waiting no. moments, finding Tylen Wallace for the go-ahead score with 42 seconds left. Um, Greer had the ball at the end of the game, but West Virginia wasn't able to do much with it um, with little time remaining. So even though Oklahoma State you know, turned the ball over four times, they still found a way to win. And Mike Gundy, business in the front, party in the back, still getting it done out in OK State. Dude, he's a great example of one of those coaches that, like, I have no ties to Oklahoma State whatsoever. 
But there's some of those coaches that you're like, you know, if I didn't go to my favorite school to play a sport, I think I'd go play for that guy. Yeah. And Gundy's right there at the top of the list of one of those schools where I'd be like, heck yeah, I want to go play for that dude because of the party in the back. I bet you he's a good time. I mean, we've seen him rip his shirt off. He's got quotes upon quotes Mm -hmm. week after week. So uh, I was happy to see them win. And and you and I talked about how they're probably the scariest five-loss team in the country. Nobody wants to play them. Easily, yeah. If you have Oklahoma State on the docket or if you're looking at possible bowl matchups and you know, you're, you're seeing ESPN or Yahoo project your team to play Oklahoma State, I'd be a little worried, especially the way that the Cowboys can sling the rock around the field and, um, and come up in key situations. They've, uh, they've certainly grown over the last few weeks where it looked like their season was taking a turn for the worse. But, you know, they, they came close to beating Oklahoma a week ago in Bedlam. They knock off West Virginia this week. So things are on the up and up uh, out west for OK State. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, elsewhere in, in the top 25, we talked about Ohio State. That was another score fest mm-hmm. with Maryland. We didn't expect it necessarily from Maryland, especially, you know, I mean, MSU held them to three points. You thought Ohio State would roll, but they actually had to come from behind multiple times just to get to overtime with Maryland. And then if you didn't see the highlight, Maryland uh, – the guy's open in the end zone. He just doesn't roll with the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so the pass the pass goes wide for the two-point conversion to win it, and Ohio State hangs on. Um, what, what did you think about that game? What are the takeaways heading into the game in Columbus mm-hmm. against Michigan this weekend? Well, after watching both Ohio State and, to a certain extent, Michigan struggle a little bit, you have to wonder, were both teams looking ahead to this game? And I think Ohio State right. has been – fairly problematic in, in aspects of the game, uh, certainly on defense this season. They've, they've been a little uncharacteristic on that side of the ball. I think I read earlier today on Yahoo that they're on pace to allow uh, the most yards per per carry and uh, the, the highest scoring defense that they've had in, in a long time for the Buckeyes. So they've been uncharacteristic all season long. Michigan, you know, they've been pretty solid. Indiana always gives the Wolverines a tough matchup, whether it's at home or or on the road. So I didn't read too much into the Michigan game, um, but Ohio State, you know, they have a, still a ton to try and figure out. And if you're, you know, 11 games into the season as an Ohio State fan, and you're still trying to figure out the fundamentals of the game, I think that's cause for concern. So I, more concerning on the Ohio State sideline than the Michigan sideline at this point. But yeah, for, for a team like Maryland, who only could muster three points against Michigan State a few weeks ago at home uh, to put up 51 against Ohio State and really have a chance to win that one, in the end, you know, that's uh, uh, that's that's heart attack inducing if you're a Buckeye fan. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing that I saw with Michigan was Indiana was able to go over the top a little bit. They threw the deep ball and had some success with that. I've always thought if there was a vulnerability on Michigan's defense, that that was going to be it. Partially because Don Brown's bringing all kinds of different blitzes, you know, every other down. And so he does you know, like Michigan State has in the past, he leaves those DBs on a little bit of an island, and you saw some height advantage from Indiana, and they, they took advantage of that um, in the game. But one significant difference between the two teams is that Michigan having trouble with the deep pass is a blip on their radar, whereas Ohio State is consistently getting shredded. So that's not so, – you can't fix that now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 12 weeks in. that You are what you are at this point. So Michigan, yep. like you said, that might that might just be 
a, a little nerves looking ahead to the big game, whereas Ohio State, you know, they're just probably going to have to outscore Michigan. Which it's going to be tough uh, with that defense they've got there in Ann Arbor. I was, I'm excited for the game this week just to see if Ohio State can bounce back and put it all together finally for four quarters, which is something I don't think they've been able to do really all season. Um, you know, they had a, a win against TCU earlier in the year, but now TCU has fallen off the map. So I don't think we quite know just how good this Ohio State team is. We have a pretty good idea of how well Michigan has been playing. Um, so to watch those two teams play, I think we're going to we're going to finally figure out whether Ohio State's for real or, you know, is Urban Meyer on his way out the door there in, in Columbus? Yeah, you bet. And, and, you know, people keep talking about the, the Penn State game being a big win. Mm-hmm. They had to come from behind. They gave up a bunch of points. Michigan State went in there, beat up. Lewerke played hurt the second half. They won. Michigan boat raced Penn State. Um, you know, Penn State almost lost to App State. They put 20-7 to on Rutgers last weekend. Like, if that's your best win, then I, I don't think you've got much of a resume at all. Granted, no matter what, it's still tough to go 10-1 and 1 in mm-hmm. college football, unless you're Alabama, of course. But it, it it's it's a great record. I'd love to have that record right now, so I'm not kicking them for being 10-1, and 1, but I just don't think it's very impressive 10-1 and 1, uh, when you look at some of the other teams. And speaking of some of those other teams that are up there fighting for a spot, or maybe they already have a spot, um, both ND, Notre Dame, you're fighting Irish, and UCF, they laid it on some people this weekend and looked very impressive. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the Irish other than pure domination? Was there anything different that you saw that gets you excited? No, it was kind of the same old, same old for them, right? You uh, you win the battle uh, on defense. I think Ian Book gives them a great opportunity to win week in and week out, whether it's through the air or with his legs. So again, another dominant performance by the Irish on the ground through the air. Um, the most impressive part to me, though, I think, was Syracuse coming into the game. You know, they had a high, high prolific or high octane offense. So they're able to put up points and, and put up big chunks of yardage with the best of them. But Notre Dame held them to less than 250 yards of total offense. Syracuse didn't score until 10 seconds left in the game when they got a garbage field goal already down 36 to nothing. Uh, and the Notre Dame defense forced three interceptions on the day. So the secondary is playing well. They're getting into the backfield. They're holding opponents to minimal yardage, and the offense is getting it done. So they're they're putting everything together, and with them heading out west to face USC this week, and I think USC is probably just emotionally and physically um, beaten up this year, uh, I would expect that Notre Dame will be the first team to lock in a playoff spot after this weekend. Yeah, you can put USC on the Dunzo list, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's it for the Trojans. Um, and UCF, as we, as we mentioned, big win over Cincinnati. Uh, I, I learned a new little fact about the Knights there. I did not know that their undergraduate enrollment was about 66, 68,000, mm-hmm. which is more than, I don't even know who's got more than that in D1. They have um, to be, so, they have to be up there. That's like the entire state of Florida. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. But I guess when, when you go, uh, you go to Orlando, you play football, it's gorgeous. Uh, you know, why not go there? And and we were joking around that uh, I think all you have to do is finish the World Beer Tour at Epcot to get in, mm-hmm. which I have now finished twice. So not only am I accepted to UCF, but I think I'm on scholarship. I should at least be considered for some sort of uh, compensation. 
Yeah, if nothing else, a preferred walk-on status there we for go. you is, is certainly within reach. That's right. That's right. So, big games. We got the CFP. Came out earlier tonight. Not a lot of surprises, but there were a couple spots that I noticed uh, that I, I, I would have had differently. It wasn't my job to make the top 10. But uh, what did you see that you said, oh, what the hell's going on here? A couple of spots, I think, that, that caught my attention. First would be UCF, obviously, jumping Ohio State. Uh, UCF's now ranked number nine in the playoff rankings. Ohio State sits there at the 10 spot. I think that's fair. You know, we've already talked about some of the woes that Ohio State has been experiencing all year, but UCF has been getting better and better each week. And I know we had quite a bit of criticism for them, uh, I think, in, on one of our earlier podcasts this year. But the last few weeks, they've been putting it together defensively. The offense is still humming right along. So UCF at that nine spot, I have no problem there. Um, I do think Washington State will have an opportunity to jump LSU. Washington State right now sits at eight, LSU at seven. If Wazoo wins out and they they clinch that Pac-12 championship with just one loss, I think they'll find themselves in that five-six range. And LSU will, I think seven's probably the highest that the Tigers go at this point with two losses and only one game left in the regular season. And then the final Final tidbit I would have here would be Clemson and Notre Dame. I would actually prefer Notre Dame to be at two and Clemson at three. Not that it's going to matter because the two two and three seed are going to play each other in the right. playoff. But if you take a look at both of those teams and the common opponent that they have this year in Syracuse, Notre Dame absolutely dominated the Orange last week in 36 to three at a neutral site. Clemson struggled with Syracuse earlier this year at home in Death at Valley. Home. I think they pulled yeah. away with a with a four-point victory, 27-23. to 23. Um, So I would have Notre Dame at two right now and Clemson at three. Um, but, you know, you're not going to hear too much from me in, in the way of disagreement anywhere else in that top ten. No, I agree. I would, I would swap Notre Dame and Clemson. Doesn't really matter, but, hey, if we're going to rank the teams, you might as well rank them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other spots that I kind of had a little bit of beef was I would actually uh, take LSU down to nine and I would move UCF up ahead of Washington State. So I, I would flip LSU and UCF. Okay. Um, I'd leave Ohio State where they're at. But UCF, you know, we, we gave them a hard time. Their strength of schedule isn't the best. However, you get a Cincinnati team that's got one loss. They let Temple come back at the end of the game and lost in overtime. So they could be undefeated. They've got a good defense. You know, Luke Fickle's there. And uh, maybe that's what happened to Ohio State's defense. Maybe he took it with him to Cincinnati. It appears um, so. But I, I thought it was a good win, and the, the spotlight was on them. Game day was there. You know, nerves can come into play, and, and they killed them. They took care of business and, and dominated Cincinnati uh, from the start. So those yeah. were the only two that I thought were, you know, could be switched around. But the mm-hmm. one thing, and I know it doesn't matter because it's the AP and the coaches poll, but just to give you kind of a you know an idea, everybody out there, of how comical the rankings are, Texas is ahead of West Virginia in both polls. Texas has three losses. West Virginia has two. And West Virginia went into Texas and beat them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, if you can tell me how in the world <laughs> Texas ends up ahead of them, other than, again, it's the equipment manager that fills it out. But the AP poll is what boggles my mind. These guys write about college football every day. Yeah, these what guys have, these guys get paid to do 
what we want to get paid to do. And, and they're still putting teams like Texas over West Virginia, despite the fact that, like you said, Texas lost at home to the Mountaineers. They also have one more loss than the Mountaineers do at this moment in time. So there, there are a few spots there in the AP Top 25 or the coaches poll where you're thinking, eh, you know, we could probably switch switch a few of those teams around and have it be a little more accurate. But, you know, right now all I'm focused on is that top six uh, in the college football playoff. Those those are going to be the, the spots to keep in mind, I think, moving forward for the next couple of weeks. Well, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things uh, with that that we can thank the football gods for is that the AP and the coaches poll have nothing to do with where teams end up any longer. The right. move to CFP took that out of the equation, and I'm thank, thank God it did because there was way too much bias. You had teams that started in the top, and so it took four losses for them to drop, even if they were a horrible team to begin with. And I won't go on any more than that, but it's just nice to see. I, I think we should be thankful for the CFP, especially it's Thanksgiving week. So, you know, if you're looking for something to be thankful for, don't get mad about there's not eight teams, there's not six teams. Just be thankful we're, we're past the BCS and we're on to something that's at least uh, a little bit better than what we used to have. Yes. With that, you gave me the green light, kind of a pun intended, to go on a rant about my Spartans. Now, it's not going to be as good as Valeni because that guy is pure gold. Um, and it's not going to be as long as Valeni's because we don't want to go for two hours <laughs> today. But I did want to get into it just a little bit. And I want to preface it before I get into this by telling everybody that I did not have one adult beverage during this game, so I took this whole thing in 100% sober. Biggest mistake of my life. But what it does mean is that I was able to actually take notes during the game, and I was fuming and smoking from my nostrils and ears for three hours. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, but the other disclosure I'll give or, or a little little love I give, I guess, to the coaches is that it's not all on them. The players made some big mistakes uh, during the game against Nebraska. There were seven penalties for 87 yards, a couple in the fourth quarter that were big uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. We had a lot of drops from wide receivers between Cody White and Doxon at tight end. Um, you know, Doxon dropped a touchdown pass that would have given us 10 points would have won the game, you know, with nine points on Nebraska's side. And uh, Lombardi missed some throws himself. There were a couple first down throws that he threw at people's feet, threw behind the receivers a little bit. And I thought he could have run the ball more than he actually did. And he was very successful when he did. He picked up, I think, three third down conversions were on his feet. And those were long ones, eight, nine, ten yards that he's able to get using his legs. So there's there's the love coaches or the uh, you know the freebies before I start hating all over you guys because here it comes it is hate week so why not let it out MSU's had zero TDs in basically nine quarters eight quarters eleven minutes the last time we had a touchdown was when Hayward ran eighty yards against Maryland rankings we'll get back into offensive rankings which are offensive by the way points per game. 120th out of 129. Total offense, 113. Our third down conversions at 32%, number 121. Fourth quarter points, we averaged 3.8 in the fourth quarter. That's number 122. So 
you're not trying to get close to 129. Anybody that's like, hey, man, you're really close to the to that number there, the last number. No, 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 no. We're at the wrong end of the spectrum here. And last time I checked, Dave Warner runs the offense. So if you're looking for somebody to blame, you can talk about the players all you want. But I'll go back to not only this season. I'll mention again, 15, 2015, 73rd in the nation in offense, total offensive yards. 16, 75th, and 17 when, hey, we went 10 and 3. Well, we were 91st in total offense. So all that tells me is that somebody's doing something right on the defensive side of the ball, and we got players that are making plays over there. Also on Saturday, the first half, the weather wasn't that bad. I mean, it was windy. It wasn't snowing yet. It was cold, but it was cold all day. And we waited till the second half to throw the ball. We were averaging... 3.8 yards per rush on the ground. So we're running the ball well. We've got over 100 yards rushing. Hayward was having a great day, in my opinion. And on the last two drives in that second half, we threw the ball. This is when it's snowing. The wind's blowing. You could see Cody White was trying to get snow out of his eyes. He can't even see the ball being thrown at him. We throw the ball 15 of the last 18 plays. Those three rushes were Lombardi's rushes that I had mentioned four first downs. So those worked out, but we never handed it off to a running back. When we did run the ball, we ran the Wildcat twice. Who knows where that came from? Other than, you know, you and I talked about Dave Warner's play calling, and we think it's probably a combination of Little Giants, Madden, maybe Ask Lee Corso with the square button and PlayStation. Um, And and then uh, where else did he pull it from? The water boy, the, the green That's notebook. right, that's right. Coach, Coach, Klein. Coach Klein's playbook, Coach Klein. that was the other one. Come on, Coach Klein. <laughs> so I don't know what he's doing, but Hayward's getting the Wildcat, and he's doing a pump fake. Like anybody thinks he's throwing the ball. So there's, there's strike number one on play calls for the day. The other one, linebacker Antoine Simmons. Dude's never run the ball in his whole career at Michigan State. Never, ever, ever run the ball. We put him back there. As soon as he gets hit, ball pops out, six-yard loss. Thank God we recovered it, but we almost didn't. Uh, Lombardi had to dive on the ground, which he could have got hurt doing with 300-pound linemen coming at his face. So that was a nice little wrinkle. That had to come from Coach Klein's playbook. I don't know what the hell he was thinking there. Even Corso wasn't drawing that up on the square button on PlayStation. No, no. Now let's get into the last two possessions again. And, and get into the details because we got the ball back with 5.13 left. We passed for a first down, taking us down to Nebraska's 41-yard line. Things are great. We got five minutes left. First of all, plenty of time to run. Our first field goal drive was five minutes in the first half, and we ran the ball plenty. Okay, so we go from Nebraska's 41, we, th- we pass it three times, we punt the ball. We get the ball back a minute later. 3.52 left, so we got four minutes. Plenty of time to run the ball. We're at our own 38-yard line. We had one run, Lombardi, third and six. He scrambles for eight or nine, gets a first down. Then we go nine passes. Turn the ball over on downs. That's it. Game's over. And it, it's just, I, I don't get it. D'Antonio puts all these calls on him. He said he was the one that did the Antoine Simmons thing that he wanted the Wildcat, that he wanted to pass the ball. But one thing we do know is D'Antonio is loyal to a fault, 
and it's starting to become a problem. He also yeah, mentioned there was no time to run the ball. Yeah, Five I don't minutes. know. I don't know what else you can say uh, here. I think everybody would probably be in agreement with you. It's almost like Warner wants to get fired at this point. And I knew you were getting real serious because I heard papers shuffling over on oh, your end of, of the yeah. Skype call. So uh, like, I, I knew you were about to get into it. I, I couldn't remember all these bad stats because there were so many of them. I had to write some of them down. But it's yeah. just it's it's so frustrating because our defense is legit. It's a championship caliber defense. Mm-hmm. Put Antonio, our defense put our defense on Ohio State. Look yeah. out. Yeah. Antonio um, even said after the game, we're playing good enough defense to win. Yeah, you have the number one ranked rush defense in the country. The secondary's right. been improving despite injuries throughout the year. But at some point when the offense can't move the ball and they keep getting pinned back in deep in their own territory and and you're stuck with Dave Warner's coach Klein play calls, you know, th- that's just not good enough to win games. It's not good enough for Michigan State fans that have had, uh, you know, come to expect uh, a winning culture in East Lansing. And uh, at, at some point, you know, it has to have to roll. And I think hopefully you know, that will be the case in the offseason or maybe even before the offseason in East Lansing. But you, like you said, D'Antonio is loyal to a fault. I think it's becoming more and more of a liability. It's not a charity. You know, these these coaching gigs aren't charity cases. You can't just bring in all of your best buds to hang out all day and, you know, no, call What other career can you do you that? Fill. Right. Where, where else can you do that and not be held accountable for it? Right. There, There isn't a job where you can do that. Put him at equipment manager if you don't want to fire him and pay him the same the same stupid salary. Overpay yep. him to be the equipment manager. I don't care. The last couple of things I'll say about the defense is we held Nebraska and Ohio State to half their average in yards. We've held opponents 10 times this year to 21 points or less. You scored 22 points in every game, and, and, and we've got 10 wins at this point. Five times we've had them less than 17 points our defense has. And you mentioned number one rush defense, total points per game, number 16, and total D, number 14. So what's the solution? Get a new old coordinator, like we said. There's a couple places I would look first. I'd look at fired coaches. Who's coming out of a head coaching position that's actually a, a bigger name that used to be an old coordinator? I look at Cliff Kingsbury out of Texas Tech. Those guys know how to score points. I look at Clay Helton out of USC which after Notre Dame beats him by 400 on Saturday, it's more likely that he's probably gone. So he's going to be looking for a job. Or, you know, I think they like Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. I think they like that he's just an absolute weirdo. But if he were to get fired, bring that weirdo to MSU and just let him do his thing, and you worry about just having that defense be top 10, top 5 every year. Yeah, or or you'd think that, I don't don't think that he'll get fired, obviously, this year, but... I mean, Michigan State offensive coordinator, despite the weather, has to be a little bit of an upgrade from head coach at Florida Atlantic, you would think. Yeah, I'm not sure how much he's getting paid, and and we're notorious for not ponying up to coordinators. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that would work out, but maybe if they gave him enough, you know, called Draymond Green or uh, Irvin, maybe Bridges, you know, get those mm-hmm. guys to pull some money together, help a, help a football team out. The other option is you go to the group of five. You've got some MAC teams that have good offenses, actually close to home, Toledo and Ohio. Mm-hmm. Both have some solid offenses. You've got Memphis, Temple, UAB, and then my dark horse. And if this happens, I mean, obviously I need to get hired by somebody. 
but I'm going for App State's Frank Ponce, who is a co-offensive coordinator, which we know D'Antonio digs the the you know dual coordinator mm-hmm. option. And he's also the quarterback's coach, which is basically what Dave Warner pretends to be when he fills out his resume. So right. there's there's my dark horse for you. Hey, those are all good options. I think if you put together a scouting profile for each guy, send it up to the uh, Michigan State Athletic Department, um, you know, CC D'Antonio. Let's see if he can take a look at any of that. And, and if he does, you know, you can basically just fill in as an executive recruiter now for all uh, all coaching vacancies for Michigan State. Yeah, give me the job. I want it. <laughs> but enough about that. I'm sure, I'm sure Valenny, I didn't get to catch him today, uh, but I'm sure that he was not nearly as nice as I was. Oh, probably uh, not. Just judging from his previous rants, I can only imagine what was said on air today by, uh, by Mr. Valenti. Yeah, well, with that, we'll go to something a little more fun. Get away from the hate for a second because we'll touch on rivalry week again, hate week at the end of this podcast. But we wanted to talk about a couple coaches, Thanksgiving weekend, what are they eating at at dinner? How does it go down? How do you picture it? And the first guy we got to talk about is obviously Mr. Nicholas Saban. What's, what's his deal? What's his gig for Thanksgiving? What do you think? I think the spread at the Saban household is pretty simple. You probably won't catch Nick or any of these other elite level coaches sitting around a dinner table with their families. You know, they're probably down in the basement on the projection screen watching film for the upcoming games. And I think Saban, you know, we we can uh, probably ponder what he's eating just by some of the quotes he's given this year. I think he had one of the best quotes of the year before the LSU game. One of the reporters asked him, are they going to elect to kick or receive before the game? And Saban came out and said, I just hope we like to kick ass on Saturday. So I think Saban is probably opening up a big can of whoop ass and eating people's dreams like he has done all season long and all throughout his tenure in Tuscaloosa. That's what I think is on the dinner table at the Saban household. Oh, yeah. I see. I picture him being like Game of Thrones style, just ripping into a turkey leg. He might eat the whole turkey by himself, not share it with anybody. Mm -hmm. He's got a big glass of like some crazy wine or something that he's going after. And if anybody doesn't finish their plate or they're taking too long to eat, he just grabs the plate and starts chowing down, says, get lost. Um, I mean, he's, it's, we're, it's his world. We're just living in it, man. Yep. And the next guy, I think we both, uh, I think we both will have a similar answer. It's Urban Meyer. Uh, what, what do you think? What's he, what's he eating? What's he doing? I hope he's the proud franchise owner of a Domino's pizza somewhere in the Columbus area. I'm not sure what their hours are on Thanksgiving make day, sense. but you got to imagine he's probably scarfing down a pepperoni and sausage pizza there. Now, the big question here is, you know, his health issues have been well documented and there's some stories coming out now that, or some rumors that this might be his last year in Columbus. Do you think with those health issues, it's in his best interest to go, to go gluten-free? I think it's his best interest to go to jets just maybe trade out the dominoes for some jets mm-hmm. um get get the jet 10 turbo crust jets if you're listening we will advertise you can pay us in pizza in fact just consider this your first official advertisement and send the pizzas our way yep put it on my tab <laughs> no the the only other thing i could see him doing to be honest would be the ricky bobby spread which would oh. include pizza Mm-hmm. but also some Taco Bell, some KFC, 
you know, whatever else he wants to get out there, some Wendy's. Mm-hmm. He wants his pick of the litter. Whatever, whatever depressing mood he's in that day, he wants to be able to fill that void. Right. And yeah, with, with all of those uh, you know, very healthy options like you had just listed off, uh, that would help solve anybody's depression. <laughs> That's right. Crunchwrap Supremes leave nobody pissed off. <laughs> right. That should be their slogan. I, yeah, that's a good one. Man, I, I'm picking up all kinds of careers here on this podcast today. Right. Executive recruiter, Michigan State, uh, PR, Taco Bell. I mean, the list goes on and on. You're a man. You're a jack of all trades. That's right. The last guy we got to talk about, we can't we can't bring this up and not bring up the craziest man on the planet, Jimmy Jimmy Harbaugh. The question needs to be asked, you know, is turkey a nervous bird like chicken? I love it. And, and if it is... You know what that then the question becomes, what the hell is going on at the Harbaugh household on Thanksgiving? You know, if they're not going to go with the nervous bird of the turkey, uh, you know, what's the spread like with him, his his wife and their 18 kids? Uh, I I imagine he's probably got a big glass of whole milk somewhere. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably eating some milk steaks, maybe uh, (laughs) some ham. I I don't know. I mean, the options are endless. What's that? Rome ham? Yeah, yeah, rum ham and milk steak and, and a whole glass of milk for Jim Harbaugh. I think that would make the most sense for him. I mean, he's he's the wild card in this situation. We just have absolutely no idea uh, what could be in store uh, for his family on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's again, I, I got two things, two scenarios I see going down for Harbaugh, one of which is he, you know, just skips dinner altogether and sneaks a little McDonald's Happy Meal. Yeah gets the mm-hmm. toy, you know, maybe it's a beanie baby or something this time, he's got to have it. Or even if he does get the McDonald's, either way, let's say he has a turkey dinner. I know that this dude freaks out if any of his food touches the other food. Mm-hmm. If those if my mashed potatoes are touching my turkey, I can't eat it. He's stealing his kid's separator <laughs> plates so he can eat his damn turkey dinner and not have any foods touch each other. That is for certain. <laughs> oh, to live the life of Harbaugh. Yeah, that's. I think that's got to be on the money. Separator oh. plate, turkey, mashed potatoes, corn, everything just kind of separated out. And, and God forbid, you know, a, a corn kernel rolls over into the gravy and mashed potatoes. Oh, that's it. That's yep. it. Tan- temper tantrum at the table. Jimmy's got to go to bed early. Yep. <laughs> Can't have the sleepover in the basement. Go up to your room. That's it. Sleepover's canceled. Everyone's got to go home. Yeah, well, you know that would leave him upset because I know he tops his dinner off with a dessert. And I'm not talking about pie. He's got that ice cream turkey in oh. the freezer. He's waiting oh, yeah. on that thing. Uh, aren't we all? I mean, I thought that was a staple in everybody's Thanksgiving dinner at the end. It is Forget good. The pumpkin pie. Yeah, yeah. I would forego the pie for the ice cream turkey. That's for sure. Uh, my my sleeper pick here, though, or, or my honorable mention, one that we didn't talk about, is Kansas State head coach Bill Snyder. And I found this out after reading some of the uh, food preferences for the the top coaches around the country. And uh, Bill Snyder apparently only eats one meal a day. It's typically Taco Bell. And his reasoning is that Taco Bell is open at midnight and his wife's cooking is not open at midnight. So if he's out prowling the streets of Manhattan, Kansas, Thursday evening, you can probably find him at a Taco Bell uh, scarfing down a, a gordita crunch or a crunch wrap supreme, uh, or my favorite, the uh, the good old chicken quesadilla with the uh, with the Mountain Dew. So I mean, 
yeah, if you're out in Manhattan, Kansas, heading up to a Taco Bell, chances are you're probably catching Bill Snyder there as well. Hey, unless you've went to Taco Bell after a college party and gotten every single meal deal on there, which I think is nine or 13 of them, don't even talk to me because I may know somebody that did that one night Just possibly. in a taxi cab. That's a rite of passage. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you know you're the real deal with Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other guy I thought about, and I don't even know what he would eat, but I just started laughing to myself, was Ed Ogeron. And I can just figure, I can just see him being like a caveman and just like out there like killing animals and just eating them raw or like eating bugs. I, I don't Dragging know. Him back but... to his cave after he clubs them to death. Or I, yeah. that or just a big bowl of jambalaya because I, I don't know what else people in Louisiana eat. If they have access to turkeys, that's something <laughs> we should probably look up on, on like an encyclopedia or National Geographic. But I imagine him with a with a big old bowl of jambalaya down there in, in Louisiana. Gosh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Me, I would go for Mexican food. That's what I'd go for. I'd, yeah. I'd go out of the realm and do the Mexican food. Sure. All right. Well, we've covered what we're all going to eat and what the coaches will probably eat. I think we're spot on with a couple of those. Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. for sure. That's yep. what's going down at the Meyer household. But before we get into our picks and wrap up the podcast, I did want to give a rundown of hate week, of who's playing this weekend, because it is absolutely ridiculous how many hate games we got. We've got Mississippi State at Ole Miss. You've got Oregon at Oregon State, Washington at Washington State, the good old Apple Cup, and there's a lot on the line for that one, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. You've got Florida at Florida State, actually a lot on the line for that one, uh, which I think we're going to talk about in our picks, so Mm -hmm. we'll save that one uh, for just a second. Georgia Tech at Georgia, Ohio State at Michigan, Arizona State at Arizona, Notre Dame at USC. I think that qualifies, right? Yeah. We got Kentucky at Louisville. We got the Mormon Bowl, BYU at Utah. And what I think everybody is somehow forgetting about because all that's going on is Auburn's got to go to Alabama this weekend. Right. The Iron Bowl has sort of taken a backseat to all of these other juicy matchups we're going to preview here. It oddly has. It's one of the weirdest things, but I really haven't heard as much. I guess partly because there's really not much on the line. People still think Bama will get in if they lose, so no one really is giving any credence to that game. Mm-hmm. But that takes us into our picks. I'm going to let you start us off again. Who's your first pick uh, for, for cash money? My first pick for cash money this week, I'm going to stay away from some of the bigger games at first and look to the MAC. I think there's a couple of games in the MAC that provide a little bit of value here. Um, my first one I'm going to go with is Akron at Ohio. Ohio is 23.5 point favorites in this one. The Bobcats are one of the hottest team in the MAC. They're averaging about 40.5 points a game. They're just absolutely walloped Buffalo at home. And I remember doing the podcast last week. We both had the TV on. Uh, while we were while we were recording, thinking that, hey, this is going to be a great action action game for a Tuesday <laughs> or Wednesday night. And then all of a sudden I looked up and the score was 52 to 17 Bobcats. So uh, Ohio is certainly on a hot streak right now. Meanwhile, Akron just put up a measly six points on the nation's 122nd ranked scoring defense and a home loss to Bowling Green. So two teams that are on completely different trajectories right now, late in the season. 
Akron hasn't won a game since October 27th. The Bobcats Ouch. are winners in four of their last five, and they've averaged 48 points a game in their seven wins on the year. Uh, Ohio leads the MAC in rush offense. The Zips have given up 220 or more yards on the ground in three straight games, all of which were double-digit losses. I don't think Ohio should have any trouble closing out the regular season with a W. I also don't think they'll have any trouble covering this spread, so I'm taking Ohio minus 23 and a half. I like it. Maction. I like getting the Maction in there. It really is one of the best things that they give this to us towards the end of the year, and we get football all the time. All day, every day. That's right. We had mentioned at the beginning some uh, big games, you know, the Big 12 still on the line of who's going to go to the championship game. And Texas has got to go to Kansas. They've got to cover 15 points. And I think it's going to be a lot tougher than, than maybe Texas fans. And just, you know, your, your casual college fan might think you've got a Kansas team, as we mentioned, that put up 40 on Oklahoma. They've won, you know, three, four games this year, which is, I think they won one last year. But they're looking better. They're playing for their coach. I think you're spot on with that. Beatty's going out, and they want to send him out on a high note. Les Miles is coming in, which also means you got to play your heart out for that coach so that he takes notice when he comes in. Mm -hmm. And the last time Texas went to Kansas, Kansas snuck out the victory, and that was when they were a dumpster fire, and they're kind of moving up from that dumpster fire status. So I'm not going to go out way on a limb and pick them to win, but I think they keep it close and, and they make it interesting when Texas is looking ahead to the championship game. Yeah, don't overlook that matchup if you uh, have some split-screen action going on this weekend. I'd tune into that game for a little while and see how things might shake up. I think the Jayhawks are, are emotionally invested in potentially winning this game for their outgoing coach. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If I had to pick that game, I'd probably take Kansas with the points as well. My second pick, staying in the MAC, Buffalo at Bowling Green. Bowling Green, 14 and a half point dogs at home. The only thing standing in the way of the Buffalo Bulls and an appearance in the MAC championship at Ford Field next Friday is one of the worst teams in all of college football, and that's Bowling Green. Now, Buffalo could have clinched the MAC East last week, but they got boat raced by Ohio, like I just mentioned. Um, Bowling Green, they are on a two game win streak, but they are allowing 39.6 points a game on the year which is last in the MAC. They're also minus six in the turnover department this season, while Buffalo has a net gain of five turnovers on the year. I don't think the Bulls will have any trouble gaining positive yards against Bowling Green. The Falcons have the fewest sacks and the fewest tackles for loss in the conference. So if, if Buffalo gets back to basics, they win the battle in the trenches. I think they cover easily. I'll take Buffalo minus 14 and a half. I don't know, man. BG's just right down the road. They're, they're going to be all fired up. Yeah. Do you see a lot of BG uh, t-shirts and hats in your neck of the woods down there? Oh, yeah. My my boss is a BG alum, man. Ooh, maybe he could score you some tickets this weekend. Oh, I, I think there'll be plenty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to head out west for my second one. I'm going to one of the, the hate week matchups. We got Arizona State at Arizona. They're laying one and a half, which they every every game they've played in that they've lost They've lost by by one score or less. They've played every game they've been in it. Arizona just got blown out by 40 or so to Washington State. I think that Arizona State goes in there. They've got a pretty solid defense. They've got a good offense. They've got Nikhil Henry, Wilkins at quarterback. Um, I think they lay it on Arizona 
not as bad as Washington State did, but I still think that maybe you see double digits in a rivalry game and Arizona State comes away with the W. I like that pick. Now, I can't recall, but there had to have been a couple of idiots earlier in the year that said Arizona was going to win the Pac-12 South. I, I'd have to go back and check the tapes, but I could have sworn I read that somewhere earlier in the year. Ooh, I think that was me. <laughs> uh, I think I also joined you in that pick. All right. My next pick is going to be uh, NC State at North Carolina, a little in-state rivalry to finish out the year for both of these ACC programs. The Tar Heels are seven-point dogs at home. Don't overthink this one. North Carolina's had trouble all year on defense. I think NC State's Ryan Finley and Kelvin Harmon are one of the most underrated quarterback wide receiver pairings in all of college football. Harmon is ninth in the nation in receiving yards this year with over 1,000 yards. Uh, NC State's first in the ACC in third down conversions, while the Tar Heels have allowed opponents to convert on third down about 44% of the time, which is 11th out of 14 teams in the ACC. I think the Wolfpack will wear down the heels, come away with at least a seven-point victory, if not more, if they play to their full potential. So I'm taking NC State minus seven in that game. Yeah, I, th I think they roll for sure in that one. Um, the next one, I'm going to go to uh, good old East Lansing, where offense is going to be optional on Saturday afternoon. We've got Rutgers visiting Michigan State. Both teams are electrifying when it comes to scoring points. Um, I don't know if there's enough points you know, on the board to keep up with them. Uh, I don't know what the over-under is. But if it's if it's not 70 or more, that's too low. These guys are going to be crazy. Um, no, but in all seriousness, MSU's got to cover 27. I don't know how they score 27 unless the defense scores 21. Um, I don't think Rutgers will score a lot. They might get three or six, or maybe they'll even get a touchdown or a touchdown and a field goal. If they score 10, I'd be amazed. But it could happen. So I just don't see MSU putting up enough points on offense this is probably like a 20, it might be like the Penn State game, 20 to 7, 20 to 3, 17 nothing, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I'm going to take Rutgers, believe it or not, the dumpster fire uh, to cover. All right. I'm going to stay with this game, but I'll take a little bit of a different angle on it. I'm going to bet the point total, which right now is at 37 and a half. It's Oof. the lowest point total posted for week 13 thus far. Iowa State and Kansas State, they're close, but their point total is at 40 and a half. So we're, we're stuck with Rutgers at Michigan State if you're looking for real low point totals. And this is what you get when you pit the nation's 121st ranked scoring offense against the nation's 129th ranked scoring offense. I think the oh, difference gross. here is that Michigan State's rush defense still first in the nation despite five losses. They're, they're holding opponents to about 79 yards per game on the ground. Rutgers has been running the ball better the last couple of games. They gained 193 yards on the ground against Michigan two weeks ago. They had 188 yards rushing last week versus Penn State. But they're going to take their 103rd ranked rush attack on the road this week to East Lansing to face that vaunted Spartan front seven. Uh, the Spartans haven't scored more than 30 points since beating Central Michigan 31-20 to back in September. And Rutgers hasn't scored more than 17 points since beating Texas State 35-7 to in week one. Against Big Ten opponents, the Scarlet Knights are averaging just 11.3 points per game. I want to take the over in this one. It's 37.5. That seems so low for a college game. But with both of these offenses struggling, like you had mentioned, I think it's another low-scoring affair in East Lansing. So I'm going to take the under 
at 37 and a half. And I think Michigan State wins this one like 28 to 7 or 21 to 7, somewhere in that range. Yeah, we're on the same page with that one for sure. Uh, I'm going to go back to hate week. And obviously, the Rutgers MSU game is anything but a rivalry. I don't know that Rutgers has one, but uh, I'm going to do Notre Dame USC. We got the Fighting Irish traveling out to see the Trojans. I think that even Notre Dame's got to cover 11, but I think this is way too low. They had, granted, they covered against Syracuse, but that was 10 and a half. And I think Syracuse is a much better team than USC. They're giving too much credit to the Coliseum. Um, you know, USC just lost to UCLA last weekend, which I called, by the way. But ND's going to roll in this one. There's way too much on the line. If you're looking for a reason to play your heart out, you're, you're in the CFP. You're playing Clemson, unless Clemson loses uh, here to Pitt uh, in the championship game. But it, you're in. W- what else do you need? I think they roll like 42 to 10 is wow. what I'm thinking for this game. Hey, um, I'd so like I'll that. take the Irish. I'd like that. Take the stress away from that late 8 p.m. game. Um, yeah, I think, I think Notre Dame should cover that one. I'd be shocked if USC puts up much of a fight. Um, even last year when both teams were a little more evenly matched, and you know Notre Dame uh, took it to the Trojans in, in South Bend. So I would expect Notre Dame to cover. Uh, if it's any closer than 11 points, uh, I'm going to be needing a defibrillator at some point Saturday night. Oh gosh! If they if they blow this with with a uh, you know laying an egg at USC, mm-hmm. Kelly will never live that down. Nope. nope, I agree. All right, my last game: Florida at Florida State doesn't quite have the appeal that this rivalry game has had in the past. The Seminoles have won five straight in the series. They've won seven of the last eight. They come into this game as five and a half point dogs at home. Since 2000, only four games in this rivalry have been decided by seven points or less. So despite the five-and-a-half-point spread, I think recent history suggests that a double-digit victory is more likely. Florida State's minus eight in turnover margin on the year. They'll face a Gator defense that's had 21 takeaways in 2018. What's more is that Florida State's bowl streak here is in jeopardy. They've reached the postseason 36 straight seasons, which is obviously an NCAA record. So it's a do-or-die scenario for Florida State. Florida, on the other hand, they're playing for a potential New Year's Day bowl game, so they also have a lot on the line here. Um, I don't think this one is going to work out in favor of Florida State. They're giving up over 35 points a game to teams with a winning record. But what I found most interesting is that since Tim Tebow graduated from the University of Florida, the Gators were averaging, in terms of total offense, they were finishing at 106th in the nation since Tebow graduated. And in terms of scoring offense, they were averaging the finish of 85th in the nation for scoring offense. This year under Dan Mullen, Florida's 56th in total offense. They're 30th in scoring offense. So we've seen that unit take some steps forward, whereas the defense continues to maintain a level of tenacity that we've come to know from Florida. So the Gators are better coached. They're better disciplined. I think they have the edge on Saturday. I'm going to take the Gators minus five and a half, and I think they, they win this one by double digits easily. You know, all that tells me is that it is incredibly tough to replace the second coming of Jesus mm-hmm. in Tim Tebow. Yep. I mean, he's oh, going to think... start for the Mets next year. The guy can do whatever he wants. Right. Uh, maybe in a couple of years he'll be in the NBA. Who knows? Oh, I would love that. A little yeah. lefty three ball coming mm-hmm. at you. Hook shot. Yeah, absolutely. My last one, I got to stay in hate week again. I got to go to Columbus. One of the things that we forgot to mention, I cannot believe 
that I left this off the list of things that Harbaugh might have at Thanksgiving dinner, but I don't know if anybody remembers a sideline antic or a moment of weakness that Harbaugh had that was caught on camera. I don't know if it was last season or two seasons ago, but I think it sounded something like this. No boogers. When Harbaugh got a little hungry and started nonching on some boogers on the sideline. <laughs> I can't believe either we both forgot about that. Oh, man. And and there's Michigan fans. I'm sorry, but there's no doubt about it that he checked it out and, and put it down the hatch. So that happened. Hungry? Uh, why wait? But the good news is, is Michigan's got to cover four going into Columbus in the shoe as tough as it is, it is to play there. It hasn't been as tough this year. And I think Michigan rolls in this game. I would be surprised to see them not win by double digits. So I think Michigan covers this, covers it easily. Um, and maybe we see something like, you know, 35-24, 31-21, something in that range. But I think Michigan comes out. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to erase, what is it, like 13 of the last 14 years they've lost. They're trying to erase that, and they're going to try to do it all in one game. So you better believe that uh, Harbaugh is going to rub it in and, and beat them down as much as he can, especially yeah. if Urban's on his way out. If this is Urban's last season, it's his last crack at Urban Meyer. And so you know he's going to want to do whatever he can to just – Make sure they remember this one. <laughs> yeah, the revenge tour, I think, will finish off with an encore uh, next week after they beat down Ohio State this week with another victory against Northwestern, and uh, Michigan will will waltz their way into the college football playoffs. So, yeah, this is uh, this is one that I think you have to have circled on your schedule or on your calendar all season. But if you're a betting man, the way that these teams have been playing, if they if they play at all like they have been playing the last 11 games, I, I don't think there's any reason to suspect why Michigan shouldn't cover that four-point spread. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then with with the uh, upset picks for the week, I actually, a little bit differently from you, I think Florida State's going to get it done over Florida, uh, get that bowl win and keep the streak alive and kind of mess with Florida's chances to go to the New Year's Six. So Florida State's an upset pick. I've got West Virginia on there. They're only plus one over Oklahoma, so you, you either pick the upset or you don't, and you're not picking a spread really on that one. Uh, Baylor, Texas Tech, I got Baylor with the upset. Indiana's got Purdue coming to town. Indiana's looked pretty solid. Purdue's been up and down. They just had a long overtime game with Wisconsin where they came out on the short end. So I think they're still licking their wounds from that one and get caught by Indiana. You've got Pitt going to Miami, and we talked about this one. It's plus five for Pitt. And, and so, you know, you always assume when Vegas does that that there is something that we don't know because why would you do that after what Pitt's done the last, what, four weeks that they've just boat raced people? Mm -hmm. So that, that's a sneaky one. I don't see how Pitt doesn't win that. But, shoot, you can just have them cover the spread, and you're getting five points. Utah State goes to Boise State on the blue field. I think they get it done with their offense. That was another offensive coordinator that I thought we could get, but that's nothing it has nothing to do with the offense that D'Antonio wants to run. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that would work out. Plus, I saw I saw a picture of that guy, and he looks like he just hangs out on the beach and calls the plays in from there. So 
Not the same style as what D'Antonio's looking for. And then lastly, UCLA. They're kind of rolling. They've gotten a couple wins under their belt. They've been competitive in their losses. Um, I think they sneak up on Stanford and, and get a victory here. So I gave you seven. Pick and choose whichever one you guys want. Uh, but I certainly think there's a couple in there. I mean, if I had to put all my money on one, I would pick Pitt in a heartbeat. Yeah, uh, That seems to be the easiest one. Uh, but Utah State, I like that one a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take your pick on that little choose-your-own-adventure of the uh, Bovada parlay of upsets and get a little Black Friday shopping money uh, a little bit early this week. Oh, yeah, there's going to be lots of deals out there. Oh, yeah, some some doorbusters. That's that's a doorbuster, your, your parlay of upsets. <laughs> that's a doorbuster in itself. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, do whatever you can to eat as much food as you can so that you have to stay on the couch because you can't physically move because there's going to be more than enough entertainment every single day of this holiday break uh, to keep you busy on the couch. Yeah, we hope you enjoy all of this action. Maybe tune into a couple of the early season college basketball matchups in between games. Uh, But yeah, certainly a, a great excuse to be a couch potato for about four straight days coming up here this week. Yeah, and go out on a limb. Maybe have a turducken for for Thanksgiving. You know, sure. Mix in mix in the turk, the the duck, little bacon. Get in on the action. Uh, but have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening, those that do, and uh, travel safe. Enjoy the family time. Hunt with Bruce. Audi. Later. <laughs>